If you would open your Bibles back to 2 Kings chapter 2, passage Brother Eric just read for us. I titled the message this morning, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Now Elijah is getting ready to depart and go be with the Lord. And when that happens, Elisha will now become the prophet in Israel. Somehow the, the Lord has showed them this. <clears throat> Both of them know what's going to happen today. And Elijah keeps trying to get Elisha to, you know, stay there. And Elisha says, no, I'm not going to leave your side. Ever since he has been revealed to him, Elijah is going to be taken to glory today. Elisha says, I won't leave your side. And eventually, Elisha does see Elijah depart. Verse 11 of 2 Kings chapter 2. And it came to pass as they still went on and talked, that behold, there appeared a chariot of fire and horses of fire and parted them as both asunder, and Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven, and Elisha saw it. And he cried, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and the horsemen thereof, and he saw him no more. And he took his own clothes and rent them in two pieces. He took up also the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and went back and stood by the bank of Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, and smote the waters, and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had smitten the waters, they parted hither and thither, and Elisha went over. Now I know that even though Elisha knew this was coming, he was filled with sorrow at this time. He was, he had, you know he was, he's going to miss his mentor. He was going to miss his dear friend, Elijah. And I really don't think that Elijah, Elisha is asking, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? Because he didn't know where God is. Elisha had asked for a double portion of the spirit that the Lord had given to Elijah. Elisha wanted double of that spirit so that he could preach and prophesy and glorify God in Israel. He wasn't asking that blessing for himself like, you know, I'm twice as good a preacher as Elijah was. He asked for a double portion for God's glory. You imagine how Elisha felt at this time. Now he's the prophet in Israel. People are dependent on him to give them a word from God. He was very wise to pray for a double portion, as far as I can tell. He wanted God to be glorified. The Lord had given Elisha a double portion of his spirit. So Elisha did know the Lord. He knew the Lord. He knew where the Lord, where the Lord is. I believe Elisha is mostly saying, here is the Lord God of Elijah. Maybe those, those 50 sons of the prophets were there. Here is the Lord God of Elijah. You see him by faith. And here's what I mean by that. When they first crossed over Jordan, Elijah took his mantle and wrapped it around his hand and he smote the waters and they parted so that he and Elisha could cross over on dry ground. Well, now Elijah's gone. He's been taken to glory. And Elisha has received the commission from the Lord. Now it's time for you to take up Elijah's ministry. And the token of that was he had Elijah's mantle. Elijah dropped his mantle there for Elisha to take it up. And Elisha took that same mantle that Elijah had dropped. And he went back over to the River Jordan, smote the River Jordan with the mantle. And it parted again. He walked back over on dry ground. 
Now here's the point of all that. Elisha is now taking up the, the ministry that Elijah left. And Elisha is using the same means that Elijah used. He's not trying to do something different. He's not trying to do something new. He's using the same means that Elijah used. And he got the same results. Now here's the lesson for us today. If we would be useful in preaching Christ to our generation, we're going to have to use the same means that Elijah used. And Elisha and all the other prophets and the apostles and all the great preachers of the past, we're going to have to use the same means that they used. And you know the means that they used? The unvarnished word of God. They didn't use psychological tricks. They didn't um, appeal to, to people's emotions. They didn't go down to the seminary and find a, a course on church building and how to you know, win friends and influence people. The only means that they used is the unvarnished word of God. Thus saith the Lord. This is the only means that God uses to give faith to his people. It's the word of God. This is the seed God uses to give life to his people. And this word is what God uses to, to bless the hearts of his people, to feed them, to edify them, to comfort them, to teach them. It's only the word of God. And I'll show you more about the importance of that in just a minute. But I used all this introduction. Elisha said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? He wanted to know. Well, you and I need to know the Lord God of Elijah. Not just where he is, we need to know him. Just as much as Elisha ever did. Because the only way you and I will ever be saved is if the Lord God of Elijah is pleased to save us by his mercy and by his grace. So we need to know the Lord God of Elijah, don't we? And i tell you why it's so important to know the Lord God of Elijah. And I know it's the same Lord God, the same God overall. But the Lord God revealed himself through the ministry of Elijah in some, some special ways. The Lord God of Elijah is the God of judgment. One day, God came to Elijah. He said, now you go down there to King Ahab and you tell him there's going to be no rain in the land until you say so. Elijah came and announced this judgment to King Ahab. There's going to be, this is God's judgment. There's going to be no rain in the land. There's going to be a great famine in the land because of this drought. Elijah's the one who came and told him that's going to happen. Then the God of Elijah is the God of providence. During that, that time of famine, God sent Elijah to go down and live by a brook. And every morning and every evening, Elijah was there by that brook. You know what happened? Ravens flew in with flesh and bread in their beaks and dropped them there to Elijah. Elijah had something to eat. Everybody's suffering in this famine. Elijah had plenty to eat. The ravens brought it to him. They didn't eat it themselves. They brought it and dropped it to Elijah. Now only God could do that. Only God who rules over all of the providence, over everything in his creation, can make those birds act against their nature and not eat that food, but bring it to Elijah. He's the, the Lord God of Elijah is the God of providence. Then the God of Elijah is the God of election. During this drought and this famine, the Lord passed by every widow in Israel, every Jewish widow, and sent his prophet to a widow woman in Sarepta, a Gentile, a Gentile widow, just one, and she was a Gentile. 
He sent his prophet to her. And the Lord used that as an illustration. In his very first public message, he used that as an illustration, this event with Elijah, this widow woman, as an illustration of his electing love. He passed by all those Jewish widows and sent his prophet to one Gentile widow. And people heard what he was saying. And they hated him so bad, they tried to throw him off a cliff and kill him. Now I know the nature of man hates the God of election. But that's who God is nevertheless. He's the Lord God of Elijah. God Almighty is the God of election. He chose a people to save. He's going to save those people. Nothing's going to stop him from doing it. That's God. And I'll quote my dear friend Chris Cunningham and tell you, if you don't believe that, I ain't mad at you. But I want you to know this is what God's word says. This is who God is. Then the God of Elijah is the God of creation. During that famine, when Elijah came to live with this widow woman, you remember the story? He came, he saw her there. And he called to her and she told him, she said, I just got this. He wanted something to eat. She said, well, I just got this little bit of oil. There's this little bit of meal. It's not much. I'm, I'm collecting two sticks to make fire. You know, that, that's all I need. I don't need a very big fire to make me and my son a, a cake and then we're going to die. We're going to starve to death. And Elijah told her, make me a little cake first. Then make one for yourself. And she did. And Elijah stayed there many days. And every morning, that little bit of oil and that little bit of meal wasn't enough just, you know, to, to make her and her son a cake and they're going to die. That cruise of oil was full every morning. That meal was full. The whatever she container she used, full every day. She used it up, emptied it. No more oil, no more meal. Next morning it was full again. That's the God of creation. God was creating matter and putting it there to provide for his people. Then the God of Elijah is the God who gives life. One day that widow woman's son died. It's her only son. She sent for the prophet. And Elijah came, he prayed. He laid his body over top of that boy's dead body. And he prayed. And the Lord brought that boy back to life. The God of Elijah is the God who gives life. Physical and spiritual life. If you're going to have it, he's going to have to give it to you. Then the God of Elijah is the God of the sacrifice. The sacrifice for sin. He is the sacrifice and he is the one who accepts the sacrifice. That's what the Lord showed on, on Mount Carmel. Remember the prophets of Baal? 400 of them came and stood against one man, just Elijah. And they went through all these shenanigans, but they couldn't get fire to fall on their sacrifice from heaven. No fire fell. But look at 1 Kings chapter 18. The fire of God, the God of Elijah, sure fell on his sacrifice. And burn it up, didn't he? Showing everyone that the Lord God of Elijah is God alone. First Kings 18, beginning in verse 30. This is after the prophets of Baal that went from morning to evening. They couldn't get fire to fall from heaven. And Elijah said unto all the people, verse 30, Come near unto me. And all the people came near unto him. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was broken down. And Elijah took twelve stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob, unto whom the word of the Lord came 
saying, Israel shall be thy name. And with the stones he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench about the altar, as great as would contain two measures of seed. And he put the wood in order and cut the bullock in pieces and laid him on the wood and said, fill four barrels with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And he said, do it the second time. And they did it the second time. And he said, do it the third time. And they did it the third time. And the water ran round about the altar and he filled the trench also with water. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near. And said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel, and that I am thy servant, and that I have done all these things at thy word. Hear me, O Lord, hear me, that this people may know that thou art the Lord God, and that thou hast turned their heart back again. And the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt sacrifice and the wood and the stones and the dust, and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, They fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, Jehovah, He is God. The Lord, He is God. That fire fell from heaven and showed us that Elijah's God is the Lord God. Elijah's God is the God who puts away sin by the death and the sacrifice of His Son when His Son stood as a substitute for His people and the fire of God's wrath fell on Him. So that it wouldn't fall on the people. God sacrificed his son as as the, the payment for the sin of his people. And his death satisfied the justice of God. There's no more fire of God's justice left for God's people. It extinguished itself on the sacrifice. Now that's the Lord God of Elijah. That's who he is. And I'm like Elisha. I want to know him. Don't you? I want to know him. I want you to know him. I want to know where God is. Where is he? So that I can come to him and beg him to have mercy on me. Maybe he'd be pleased to do it. Maybe he'd be pleased to give me life. So let's look in God's word. See if we can't find out where the Lord God of Elijah is. If you look over a page there at 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah's mentor could have told Elisha where the Lord is. The Lord is in the still small voice of his word. 1 Kings 19, verse 9. And he, Elijah, came thither unto a cave and lodged there. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. And he said unto him, What doest thou here, Elijah? Boy, Elijah's feeling down. He's feeling real sorry for himself. He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant. They've thrown down thine altars and slain the prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind rent the mountains and break it in pieces. And break in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. And it was so when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood in the entering in of the cave. And behold, there came a voice unto him and said, Now, what doest thou here, Elijah? 
You know, if we ever see the Lord and hear from the Lord, we're going to do what what Elijah did there. We're going to cover our faces. We're going to cover our faces in shame. Cover our faces before the Lord. But now, when did Elijah hear from the Lord? Well, it wasn't in the wind, was it? This wind, I mean, can you imagine this wind? It was so strong, it broke rocks in pieces. (laughs) I mean, what a wind. And the wind in Scripture usually pictures the Holy Spirit. But I know this wind doesn't picture the Holy Spirit because the Lord wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in this wind. I'll tell you what this loud wind is a picture of. It's a picture of man's way of religion. Man's way of religion makes a big show of the Holy Spirit. But the Lord's not in it. Man's way is to make a show of the Holy Spirit. Not to make a show of Christ. Not to get people looking at Christ, but to make a show of the Spirit. Get people looking at the Holy Spirit, really, what they want is by people looking at them. They make a show of the Spirit by speaking in tongues. Acting like they're healing folks. They, you know, get in some sort of trance and sway around and, you know, whatever. To, oh, the Spirit, you know, is on that person. Everybody's, everybody's so impressed, you know. It makes a big show. It impresses the flesh. But Christ isn't there. Christ isn't there. The Lord is not in that kind of wind. And Elijah didn't hear from the Lord in the earthquake. The earthquake, that I mean, it had to be something else. What do you say? But the Lord's not in a bunch of physical signs and wonders. These things that the, the earthquake causes, they're impressive to the flesh. I mean, they're just awe-inspiring, you know. But the Lord's not in that. He wasn't in the earthquake. The Lord's not in a religion, a religion of fleshly works and, and fleshly goings on that impress the flesh. The Lord wasn't in that. And then there came a big fire. I mean, it's a fire from the Lord. It had to be very impressive and probably very scary. But the Lord wasn't in the fire. He was in the fire that fell in the sacrifice, wasn't he? But not in this fire. Not in this fire. I believe this fire is a picture of the preaching of the law, the threats of the law, fire and brimstone preaching. Someone told me recently, he said, now there's a time for fire and brimstone preaching. And I said, well, I haven't found it yet. I haven't found it yet. Fire and brimstone preaching, at least is the way I understand what that is, is, is using threats of the law. God's going to send you to hell if you don't act good enough. Now you better straighten up, start acting right, start doing this and start doing this and start doing this and quit doing this and quit doing this and quit doing this or all that God's going to put the fire of hell on you. That's fire and brimstone preaching. Brethren, the Lord's not in that fire. He's not in it. Fire and brimstone preaching might scare a person half to death and make them seek some sort of a refuge. A refuge from the storm. A refuge from damnation. I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be condemned. I mean, I I don't. But salvation is a whole lot more than not going to hell. Salvation is knowing Christ. It's trusting Christ. It's loving Christ. It's wanting to be where Christ is. There's a big difference there. If a person just seeks a refuge from the storm because they don't want to go to hell, what do you do when the storm has passed? Huh? What do you do then? i tell you what draws sinners to Christ. 
It's not threats of the law. It's not threats God's going to smack you around if you don't do right. The believer is drawn to Christ by cords of love. It's his love. I said in the lesson today, it's the love of Christ that caused him, that moved him to be lifted up on a cross and sacrificed for the sin of his people. Now I know this because the Savior said it. When all, all that the Father has given me, all, when all see me lifted up, they'll be drawn to me. Gary, we got to preach Christ. Christ and Him crucified. Lift Him up in His glory as the sacrifice. Not with threats, but with His electing love for His people. With His sacrificial love for His people. With which His love that moved Him to save His people from their sin. Lift Him up that way. His people will be drawn to Him. He's not, you can't threaten anybody into the kingdom of God. You enter by faith. We'll lift Christ up so people see Him and know Him. So they'll believe on Him. That's how sinners are drawn, are, are drawn to Christ. So the Lord wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake and He wasn't in the fire. But when everything quieted down, there was a still small voice. And that the Lord was in that place. The Lord was speaking to Elijah in then. See, the Holy Spirit, when He moves in power, oh, when the Holy Spirit blows through, you're going to know it. You're not going to know it because somebody starts acting strange. You're going to know it because now they have faith in Christ where they didn't before. That's how you know the Holy Spirit's blown through. And when the Holy Spirit moves in power, it's not in a big show. Of religion. The Holy Spirit moves in power. To reveal Christ. That's what the Savior said. When the comforters come. He's speaking of the Holy Spirit. He'll show you the things of mine. The Holy Spirit never makes a show of himself. He points sinners to Christ. That's the job of, of the Holy Spirit. And I tell you how he does it. It's through the simple preaching. Of the unvarnished word of God. That's how he does it. That's how he spoke to Elijah. It was in a simple way, wasn't it? The still, small voice. And God still speaks to his people in that still, small voice. Here we are in this crowd. God could be speaking to you. You feel like you're the only one here. He's speaking to your heart. He's speaking, I hope he's doing it to a bunch of hearts at once, but you feel like it's just you. That's that still small voice, God speaking to your heart. Speaking to your heart. And I'll show you a beautiful illustration of this in Matthew chapter 8. We just don't need to preach anything but God's word. Because this is how God's word, that's how he speaks to his people. There's such a beautiful illustration of this in Matthew chapter 8. Verse 5. And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home, sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. Jesus saith unto him, I'll come and heal him. Now modern religion would say, Hoop-de-doo. 
Jesus is going to come and there's going to be a big healing service. There's going to be anointing with oil. There's going to be, oh, I mean, what a show he's going to do raising this, this servant from the sickbed. But look what the centurion said. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldst come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. I just need your word. The power that's in your word. And he said, he said, I understand that. I understand, you know, you're the sovereign. I understand the power of your word giving orders. He said, I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. I say to this man, go, and he goeth. And to another come, he comes. And my servant do this, and he does it. And that's what he's saying, Lord, you have power. There's power in your word. Just command it. Just speak it. And when Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them, follow, verily, I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And that man's servant was healed by the word, by the command of God. And that is our commission today. That's what Paul told Timothy. Preach the word, Timothy. In every season, in every circumstance, whether people like it or don't like it, no matter what people think of you, Timothy, preach the word. Preach the word as plainly and clearly as you possibly can. Because the Lord God of Elijah, if you're going to find him, you're going to find him in his word. That's where he's pleased to reveal himself. The saving power of God is found in his word. Now the Lord's still in the still small voice. God doesn't change. He's still in that still small voice. If you would hear from God, if there's anybody here that wants to hear from God, and wants to meet God. Tell you what to do. You find a man preaching Christ. And you park yourself and listen to him. God's in the still small voice. Alright number two. Look at Psalm 115. Psalm 115. Second. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? He's ruling on the throne in heaven. Psalm 115, verse 2. Wherefore should the heathen say, Where is now their God? But our God's in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Now where's the Lord God of Elijah? He's right where he's always been. He's on the throne, ruling as the sovereign potentate over everything. Everything. Everything is creation. Every movement, every thought, every idea, every motive, everything. He's ruling over everything. David says, our God's on the throne. And we tell you what he's doing there? Whatever it pleases him to do. Where he's pleased to do, that's what he's doing. And I tell you, that thrills my soul. To hear that, to think of that, to be able to believe that, our God is on the throne and he's doing whatsoever he pleases. You know why that thrills me? Because scripture tells us some of the things he's pleased to do. Scripture says it pleased the Lord to make you his people. Now can you imagine such a thing? God who's so separate from us, he's holy, he's I mean, just how separate he is from us. How opposite we are of him in our sin and filth and decay. And, oh, Yet, 
It pleased the Lord to choose a sinful people to make his people. It pleased the Lord not to choose good people to save, but to choose the worst of the worst. It pleased the Lord to choose sinners to save them by his grace, by the sacrifice and the obedience of his son. This is the truth of election. Almighty God's pleased to make a people his. They didn't choose him. He chose them. And he did it because the Lord's good. He didn't do it because he saw any good in anybody he chose. The Lord chose a people. It pleased him to make you his people because the Lord's good. Oh, I'm glad the Lord's doing whatsoever he pleases, aren't you? Next, look at Isaiah chapter 53. Here's something else. It pleased the Lord. It pleased the Lord to save those people that he chose by the sacrifice of his son. Isaiah 53. Verse 10. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief when thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. He shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. It pleased the Lord to bruise his son. Even though his son had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth, he never committed a sin. He never thought a sin. He never wanted to do it. There's no sin in him. Yet it still pleased his father to bruise him to torture him, to crush him as a sacrifice for sin. Why did it please the father to bruise his son if his son never committed a sin? Because it pleased the Lord to make him sin for us who knew no sin. Christ was made sin for his people so that the son by his sacrifice could put away the sin that made God angry. When it, it pleased the Lord, the, it pleased the Father to bruise the Son because by His sacrifice, all the sin of His people was taken away forever. So now God in justice and holiness, without violating His character, can do what He intended to do in the first place. Be merciful to sinners. He can do that. He can be merciful to you if Christ suffered for your sin. God can give you what you don't deserve if he gave his son what you do deserve. Thank God it pleased him to do that. I'm thrilled God's on the throne doing what he pleases, aren't you? Now that that's that was what God intended to do. Did he do it? I mean, this is only good news if he accomplished it. Did he do it? Well, Isaiah says the pleasure of the Lord is going to prosper in his hand. It prospered. In verse 11, he said, he shall see of the travail of his soul. And he shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many. For he shall bear their iniquities. Everyone God purposed to save is saved. Their sin is put away by the sacrifice of Christ. And Isaiah wrote that seven or eight hundred years before Christ was even born. He wrote in the past tense, this thing's done. He shall not fail. See, God's ruling in heaven. He's ruling as the potentate over everything. God's sovereign. I mean, don't we call ourselves, we call ourselves sovereign gracers. 
God's sovereignty is not just something that distinguishes us from the free willers. God's sovereignty is the guarantee of the salvation of his people. Since God's sovereign, nothing can stop him from accomplishing his purpose. I'm thankful that God's sovereign, aren't you? All right, number three. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? He's in Christ. He's in Christ. If you would see God, you've got to see Christ because the Lord God of Elijah is in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 18. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath committed to us this ministry of reconciliation. To wit, now this is our ministry, this is our message, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto the end. And he hath committed unto us this word of reconciliation. We have a word of reconciliation, how sinners can be reconciled to God because God was in Christ. That's what he says, God was in Christ. And I tell you why God was in Christ. Because the Lord Jesus Christ is God. He is God. He's not a special manifestation of God. He's not just a prophet of God. He is God. Isaiah said his name should be called Wonderful Counselor, the Everlasting Father. Now how can the, the Son be the Everlasting Father? Because he's God. I mean, I just can't be another explanation. He's God, that's how. He's God. And I'll tell you why that's so important. That the Lord Jesus Christ is God. Because the only way sinners can be saved is if the man Jesus of Nazareth is God. It's the only way we can be saved. See, the Savior has to be a real man so he can be our representative. He has to be a real man so he can suffer as our substitute. A ram can't suffer as my substitute. The only way I can have a substitute that means anything is if he's got my nature. He's got to be a man. Well, God can't be our substitute, can he? He's got a different nature than us. So God became a man. Our substitute, So our substitute would be a real man. But if this man's going to save us from our sin, he's got to be God. He's got to be God. He's got to have the holiness of God. He's got to have the righteousness of God. He's got to have the love of God. He's got to have the power of God if he's going to save sinners. Well, Paul tells us God was in Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is God. So he's got the power. He's got the righteousness. He's got the holiness. He's got the love. He's got the deity to save his people from their sins. And since the Lord Jesus Christ is both the Son of God and the Son of Man, he's the God-man. And that gives us a message of reconciliation. This is what this is how sinners are reconciled to God. Christ is the suitable sacrifice. He's God, so he's holy, and he's sinless. The sacrifice has got to be a sinless sacrifice, doesn't it? And he's a man, so he can be our substitute. He's a man, so he's got blood to shed. And his blood is sinless blood, pure blood, which is able to cleanse his people from all of their sin. Now, since God was in Christ, he's able to do what he came to do, to save his people from their sin. That's the Lord God of Elijah. I can't tell you how desperately I want him to be my God too. Because he's the only Savior. 
Then fourthly, look at 2 Peter chapter 1. Where is the Lord God of Elijah? He's in his people. 2 Peter 1 verse 3. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. And what Paul is talking about here is the new man. who's born of God in the new birth. Only the new man can have the things that pertain to life and godliness. The flesh doesn't have those things because it's dead in sin. Only a new man can have the things that pertain to life and godliness. God gives us those things in that new man born of God. And that new man is born bearing the nature of our heavenly father. Verse 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. A believer is a partaker of the divine nature because a child is a partaker of the nature of his father. I'm a partaker of the the nature of Frank Tate Sr. being my father. Every believer is a partaker of the divine nature because God is our father. God is dwells in the hearts of his people. That's why Paul said, don't you know you're the temple of God? God dwells in you. Now I tell you, without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. For the Lord God of Elijah gives his people a holy nature when he causes them to be born again. Now what a miracle. God would cause a holy nature to be born in his people so that we can see him. Oh, that's the Lord God of Elijah. I want that God to be my God, don't you? Then last, if you want to know, I hope in telling you about the Lord God of Elijah, it's my prayer that was ignited in your heart as such a desire to know him. I hope you're saying along with me, I want this God to be my God. Well, if you want to know the Lord God of Elijah, you want to hear from him, you want to be given faith in him, you want to be given life in him, I'll tell you the best way to do that. It's my fifth point. The Lord God of Elijah is wherever his people meet together to worship. In Matthew 18, verse 20, our Lord comforted his disciples and he told them, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. Now there is an importance in public worship. It's so important. If you would hear from God, you're going to hear from him in public worship. Now, there's absolutely, I mean, there's such a benefit in reading and studying on your own, benefit maybe listening to messages online or something. But I'm telling you, there's no substitute for public worship. Because I don't know about the internet. I don't know, you know, for sure about when I'm reading, you know, on my own. But I do know this. God's promised. Christ has promised. He's in the midst of us this morning. I do know that. That's how important public worship is. But that's also the sweetness of it, isn't it? The sweetness of public worship is the Savior meeting with us. That's just so sweet to think about. He condescend to meet with us as we attempt to worship Him. If you want meat from God, 
If you want to meet God, you want to hear from God, tell you what to do. Be wherever he's preached. Because that's where you're going to hear from. Isn't that a blessing? I pray God make it be pleased in his mercy and grace to make it so for us this morning. Let's bow together. Father, how we thank you for this your word. How we thank you, Father, for that you've been pleased to reveal yourself to your people by the preaching of your word. And Father, I beg of you that this morning you would be pleased to reveal yourself to each and every heart here this morning. From the from the youngest to the oldest, from the unbeliever to the oldest believer. What we all need, Father, is that you would reveal yourself to us in the heart. And I pray by your mercy, by your grace, and for your glory that you'd be pleased to do it. Father, it's for the glory of Christ our Savior. For his sake we pray. Amen. All right. Isaac, come leads in a closing hymn if you would.